Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with my good friend, Eli Rose. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. So uh, I met you in Next Level Flipping. We're both you know, part of Next Level Flipping and I'm excited to be able to talk to you about your company and also kind of your experience within Next Level Flipping as well. Uh, for the people that don't know who you are, can you briefly kind of tell us what it is that you do in real estate investing? Yeah, man, sure thing. So. Um... I got into real estate investing full time. Started 2018. I started primarily as an agent. I hooked up with a, uh, a large scale flipper and I was listing his flips, um, learn about wholesale. I knew about wholesaling prior. Right. Really started getting into wholesaling when I was working with him and eventually transitioned my business over from traditional stuff to, to wholesaling now primarily. I also do some wholesales and, and Every now and then, I'll, I'll get a wild, wild hair to flip a property. <laughs> I got you. So let's talk about that transition from being like a realtor to now being a full-time investor. What was that transition like for you? It was easy, man. So I was never the quote-unquote traditional realtor. Um, the guy, I basically had one client. This guy, guy was flipping 100 houses a year. Gotcha. And I was helping him find deals. I was helping him list his flips. I was getting to dig into his production processes, just how he found deals, um, networking with a bunch of wholesalers that he worked with. So it wasn't a crazy transition. I've actually never done a, a quote unquote traditional real estate deal. So, so you were basically wholesaling deals without even knowing or or getting the wholesale fee. You were just kind of doing it as an agent along the way for this one client, right? Yeah, I, I'd had the, I got a taste of bigger pockets in the corporate world, and that's what led me into real estate was the wholesaling piece. So I was dabbling, and I would wholesale him a deal here and there, but essentially I was his, he, he was my client, and he was all my business at that point. So um, I was getting a few wholesales, but my primary revenue um, for the first part of my full-time, my first full-time year in real estate was listing his properties. Gotcha. So once you made the transition to wholesaling, Talk about, you know, did you start off as like a one-man show or did you have a team? Did you have a partner? What did that look like? Yeah, so I started off as a one-man show. Um, direct mail was my only marketing channel. I was sending out the mail pieces, getting the lists, running the appointments, doing dispositions, everything. Man, I quickly got out of that. So I only lasted as a one-man show for probably eight or nine months before I hired my first acquisitions manager. And that was, gotcha. I hired a few VAs here and there, but my first real hire was acquisitions. What made you choose direct mail as your first marketing piece? It's all I knew, man. It's what was primarily promoted on the podcast. It seemed like right. the most passive way to get into it, especially still when I still had a nine to five, I could send out the direct mail, hire a call center and have them fill the calls. And then I could kind of cherry pick the hot leads to run. You know, but he, it's funny you say that everybody talks about it. It's because it's still a great marketing technique. You know, I mean, it works and there's a lot of other ways that you can do it and you can do it more efficiently and, and more affordably now with things like SMS, cold calling, ringless voicemail, stuff like that. But 
um, across the, the board, anytime that I interview anyone that's doing a large amount of volume, direct mail is still a piece of their, their marketing tactics. Um, now, today, what's your main form of marketing? Primary cold calling, or excuse me, primary SMS, and then we follow up the SMS with cold calling. So we're gotcha. only doing two marketing channels right now. Are you, when you send the SMS, are you scrubbing that list and then that's why you're cold calling them after? Yeah, so we, we hit the mobiles with the SMS and then when we don't get a, the ones we don't get a response from, we put those numbers over on the cold caller plate and we also scrub the landlines out and I have one cold caller. All he does is, is cold call landlines. Gotcha. And as far as SMS goes, you know, are you hitting specific list or are you hitting that with a really broad list? You know, I, I know some people, they like to get really niche and, and try to stack it. And some people are of the mindset like, hey, I want to hit as many people as possible. What are you doing with your list there? So I'm transitioning stacked lists back in. I, when I was direct mail, I was pretty much all stacked. I never went really broad. Right. Last year, I was extremely broad with my SMS. So it was absentee owned and high equity owner occupied. Yep. I'm currently incorporating um, stacked list back into it. I just got on board with Batch Lead Stacker, which is awesome and makes yep. that a lot easier than it's been in the past. But, but currently, right now, we're going pretty broad with it. But again, I intend to, to get those stacked lists back in there and hit them a little harder. You know what, and I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer to that question. You know, I I see people that are successful with hitting both. You know, some people it's it's all about the efficiency and the size of their team and the manpower that they have, so they're super niche. And they could they could almost do the same kind of volume as the people that are hitting these broad lists at times. And uh, I, I think it just comes down to like personality. And whether or not you can kind of digest the people that are like, why are you calling me? Or, you know, why are you texting me? That's what you're going to get a lot from the broad list. You know, if you're super niche, you're just going to get a lot of, you know, people that are super motivated. And then it kind of comes down to your problem solving skills. Like, are you really able to solve their issues? And, and what tools do you have in your tool belt? So as far as the, the wholesaling goes, um, you know, you're doing SMS, you're doing cold calling. What kind of volume does that look like right now as far as deals that you're doing either per week or per month? Yeah, so right now, um, it's an interesting period for me. So at the end of November of last year, I let my whole team go. Gotcha. So I literally rebuilt from scratch. So I've recently hired, second week in January, I hired acquisitions manager and, and all my supporting team. And right now we have five deals under contract, two with a bot, two under contract with an end buyer, and the other three we're trying to actively wholesale right now. So if you look at it, I guess on a per week basis, we're rocking and rolling right now, man, which I did not expect out of the gate. Right. Um, I'm not a huge volume guy. Last year I did uh, 21 deals. I'm more of a higher margin, lower volume. So we did 21 deals last year and our gross rev was 445K on that. Gotcha. Um, I'm switching a little bit more towards volume. Um, I get it. I, I, building out the team will allow me to have more of the mindset of, okay, take those smaller deals that I wasn't in the past. But last year I wasn't, I, I've never been and never really had the intention to be a huge company. Right. But um, I was still at the mindset real high volume or real high margin, low volume last year. What market are you in? Atlanta, Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. 
So that that's a pretty competitive market, right? Yes, it is, man. Yeah. So does that is that kind of play into the volume side of things where you're like, hey, we're just going to go after these higher margin properties and and just be better at this and instead of trying to compete and get a bunch of lower assignment fees? Not really. It's just my mindset personally. I'm a pretty lazy guy, man. If I can do less work and make more money, that's kind of how I look at <laughs> look at business. It's how I look at life. I don't I don't want to kill myself. And you see people all the time, man. I do 100 deals. And then you go have lunch or coffee with them and they're like, yeah, man, I'm making four grand per deal. Right. I, I have no desire to have a business like that. So um, it's just more of a mindset thing for me versus a market thing. Gotcha. So you talked about having to let go of your team. Do you kind of mind sharing some of those details as to why you had to do that without getting too specific? Cause I don't want to share, you know, people's personal information, but I think it's important to share that because, you know, we've had turnover as well. And I think sometimes people are afraid to change team members because they either have a sense of loyalty or the fear that, hey, this is going to cripple the business. And so instead of making the necessary changes, they just kind of live with the downside of whatever the issues are. So you want to share some of those details with us? Yeah, man, no problem at all. I take 100% ownership of it. It was having a business. At that point, I had a business but I didn't have a business. I didn't have the core values. I didn't have a culture built. I didn't have any type of operating system. Yep. So I hooked up with a, um, I, I got a coach. I finally got a real estate coach. And part of his implementation is EOS, so entrepreneurial operating system. So I took EOS and, and I knew I didn't really have the structure that I needed. And the personality differences from my teammates in the past and just the cultural differences. I yep. didn't build a business like I wanted it. Like it, it didn't fit me. I, I just threw a bunch of people as quickly as I could together, said, Hey, here's some weeds. And by the grace of God, I converted bills and had a, a semi decent year. And at the end of it, I'm like, man, I'm building something. I don't really want to build. I'm building, building something that doesn't really fit me. And it was a hard decision, man, but I literally let everybody on my team go and, and started from scratch, man. So it sounds to me, and, and I'm just going to take a wild guess, is your real estate coach Gary Harper? No, it's not Gary, but Gary did the implementation for this company. It's Joe Dillon. So, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and man. The reason why is just because of some of the things you said there. I mean, it sounds just like something Gary Harper would come in and, and you know implement within someone's company. Um, you know, and it's important to understand that, like, core values and and really understand the importance of that. and. Sometimes it's hard when you're first getting started, that doesn't seem like a, a priority. And so what I've seen through my experience of interviewing people and getting to know different people's companies is that a lot of times they get started and they get to a certain level of success and then they kind of stall out and then they have to look back and say, what is it going to take for us to continue to grow? And then that's where they look back and it's like, well, we don't have core values. We don't have systems and processes. Like we don't have any kind of HR within our company. And then it's like, you have to revamp. And yeah, sometimes there's casualties as far as people that you had that, that helped you get to that point um, because they don't fit those core values of what you want with your company. So now that you've done that, when you actually implemented EOS, did you actually sit down and like write out like your vision and, and your core values and things along those lines? Oh yeah, man, I spent days on the BTO. I, I really got into it. I, really, I did it, I probably redid it four or five times. 
and yeah, it took a whole lot of time with the vision with with all of that stuff. And I know I've talked about traction before, guys, but that's what we're mainly talking about here. It's a book, Traction, uh, written by Gino Wickman. If you haven't checked it out yet, I I compel you to do it. It's it's awesome. Um, almost every successful company that I know of right now has some form of version of EOS traction in their company. Um, so check that out. Um, it's, it's an awesome book. It's something that we recently just redid. Um, and you know, one of the things that I thought was amazing, cause when I read traction, I, I didn't actually read it. I did the audible version. But one of the things that um, he says in, in that version is the highest ratio that he's seen, and I can't remember the exact numbers, it was either 80 or 92% of like actually implementing traction in a company so far is either 80 or 92%. And that blew my mind and it's like, you would think that there's people out there that would really be able to implement every single aspect of this, but it's a, it's a growing thing, right? It's ever changing and organic growth within your company. So when you read that book and you're like, holy cow, dude, I don't have any of this implemented in my company. Like don't become overwhelmed. Just start with one aspect of it and just continue to implement over time. Um, are you, I know it's early on cause it was only the second week in January, but are you seeing changes like for you personally, do you feel better about your company now? Yeah, man, just the clarity. I mean, we all, at some point in time, if you're in this industry long enough, you're going to hear KPIs and it just became a buzzword. Right. But in the past, man, I, I, by nature, I'm a pretty fearful person <laughs> and I'm, I'm, the unknown scares me. And I was running my business for almost three years based off of the lag measures and I didn't even know it. Right. Just having the scorecard in place, just having the lead measures and actually understanding KPIs and, and reviewing it on a weekly basis with every single person on my team, it's just created an exceptional amount of, of peace for me, man. I know where I am. If there's an issue, if we're missing a, a key KPI, we can we can drill it down and get to the issues. I mean, just from a, a, a mindset or a, a peace of mind standpoint, knowing, having more clarity in the business, man, yeah, I'm sleeping a whole lot better now. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you bring up KPIs there and we can talk about that for a little bit. It's so funny that when you're not properly tracking those and analyzing that data, you can think that you have this amazing marketing channel. And then you can go back and look at the numbers and be like, wow, we were actually losing money through that marketing channel, even though we were getting deals we could have been putting it in this other marketing channel that's far more efficient and we could have been making so much more money along the way. Is Do you think that has played an impact on you choosing the SMS first to now cold calling route? Has that kind of impacted it by tracking your KPIs? No, oh, absolutely, man. So in 2018, I did nothing but cold call. And then we got on the text messaging bandwagon. And if you go big, with the text messaging and your business is not equipped, it will cripple it, man. Like it broke my business a couple of times where just the massive amount of lead flow. Right. And I still have my cold calling going all last year. And I'm like, oh yeah, cold calling's rocking and rolling. Here's a deal over here, here's a deal over there. And I got to the end of the year and analyzed it and I almost cut it out completely. Um, I'm still debating if I'm gonna keep my cold callers going, man. But yeah, I, it's, it's like you said, I thought it was great. It was a huge revenue source in 2018. 
And then we got to the end of the year and I actually did my, I did my lag analysis and I'm like, man, this wasn't near as good as I thought it was. Right. And now with the KPIs, it's like, I can see that before it happens. So yeah, it's pretty cool, man. So on the SMS and the cold calling, do you have in-house people that are doing that? Are you outsourcing it through VAs or another company? Outsourced. So my, uh, my SMS, my new SMS person is a rocket station VA. Okay. I had a VA do it last year, South American VA doing it last year. He did a great job. Um, he moved on. He real smart dude. He moved on to a better opportunity for him. And my cold callers are also, um, let's say South American. I guess they're Central American. My cold callers are Central American. Gotcha. And what does that that training process look like? You know, because I think that's one of the the biggest concerns for people is is I'm hiring someone in another country. Is there going to be an accent? Is there going to be a language barrier? Um, how can I properly train them? So what does that look like? The training piece with the cold callers was pretty easy, man. Um, our, our next level flipping, um, comrade, I guess you would call him Casey Cabal put me up with a guy who he, he's using. So he's yeah. half, half the time with Casey, half the time with me. And then the other, uh, the other cold caller is half time with me and then half time lead management for a company in Texas. So they weren't totally oblivious to real estate. Gotcha. Um, they were using similar scripts to what I already use and, and the language barrier with them that it's, or I guess the accent, man, it's not right. Both of them grew up. So one of them grew up in Vegas until they were 18 and the other one grew up in Southern Cal until they were 2018. So they know American culture. They grew up in, in America. Yeah. And you know what? I've, I've seen that across the board that, that when you go with specific companies that are recommendation of some sort, the experience is really going to be pretty seamless and like you said they already have that training and the experience and they're used to these scripts that you're using so that's pretty awesome that you're able to do that because you know we've we've tried to do cold calling in-house multiple times and it's been hard you know i mean that's a a constant training situation and you're always kind of second guessing like am i using the right script if it's not working you know and and it's, it's a little bit easier when you're outsourcing to somebody like that that's working with other people. And it's like, hey, this is what's working with them. You know, like, let me just let the cold caller go do their thing instead of, you know, and sometimes as entrepreneurs, we're control freaks, right? Do you have any of that in you or you control freak? Too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so we can, you know, for me personally, I've always wanted to keep everything in house. And, uh, you know, eventually we, we started looking at outsourcing different things, utilizing VAs for different stuff. So that's pretty cool that you've been able to do that. Um, let's talk about dispositions and, and acquisitions because you talked about like your first eight or nine months, your one man show. I always call it the roller coaster, you know, feeling. Did you kind of experience that your first eight or nine months where it was like acquisitions, acquisitions, and then you had contracts and acquisitions came to a halt because you had to do dispositions. Is that kind of, was that something that you struggled with? Oh yeah, man. Big, big roller coaster. That roller coaster hasn't totally gone away. It seems like there's ups and downs, even when you have an acquisitions manager. Yeah. Big time, man. So are your acquisitions managers, are they doing dispo as well? In the past? Yes. Um, I'm actually, that that's the part of the business I got to get myself out of. I assume dispositions this year. Gotcha. Last year I had, one acquisitions manager. Well, I started off with two last year. Um, the first one quickly worked herself out, out of the position. 
And then I kept one for a full year last year. And she was doing acquisitions and dispositions. And when the volume ramps, man, they, it, the bandwidth to do both and the mindset shift, it, it's a different mindset doing in-home sales, trying to acquire properties versus selling the buyers. It right. just didn't work out. So this year with my new AM, she's acquisition. She has her hands hand in a little bit of it, but I'm primarily doing dispositions. So Q, 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 the end of the half year mark this year, my goal is to be out of dispositions myself. And who's going to assume that role? The acquisitions manager or are you going to hire somebody? I'll hire somebody. I'll hire a local real estate agent to do it. Gotcha. You know what? Sometimes as the owner of the company, it's kind of hard to get out of dispositions because – so many people want to connect with you and then they tell you things like, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm looking for this particular kind of property. And then you go contract one and it's hard to like remove yourself and not be the guy that just goes and tries to sell it to that person, you know? And I feel that way all the time. Almost every single property we get, I have like four or five people in mind that I could go sell it to right then. And I'm like, but I need to allow my dispo person to go do that. I need them to take that off because otherwise, yes, we might sell that property, but in the, in the long run, I'm stunting our company's growth to be able to perform without RJ, yeah. you know? So and when, when you do hire that dispositions manager, what are some of the things that you would want that person to do? Because is do you ever feel like dispo, dispositions is really a full-time gig like what are they doing outside of you know showings and if you only have like two or three properties on a contract what are they doing when those are already sold or maybe they don't have one to sell what do you expect those people to do yeah my, my intent or my vision of the dispositions person off the bat probably won't be full-time i'll find someone who who's an agent licensed agent and they've done this with somebody else, or they have a little bit of their own business going on, but they, they're still hungry to, for, for more money, for more business. And I'll probably put them in that role, but if it were a full-time role, I would see that more of a relationship building, going to the networking events, going to the reads, going to the meetups, which I don't do anymore and I should, um, and, and rubbing shoulders with all those people and ultimately building the buyer's list, which is a full-time job, man. I mean, that, that's right. hard. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's transition out of that and talk a little bit about your experience within Next Level Flipping. Um, what, first and foremost, what was the reason why you joined Next Level Flipping? I was looking for a mastermind. So it was at the point in time where I knew I needed to, to surround myself with more successful folks. And I can't remember if it, were, if it was Jamie or Ryan who reached out to me on Facebook. I think it was Jamie, actually. And I looked at the... Uh, I joined the group before it was paid and I saw all the members and I have a buddy who's in, um, oh, what's the meetup? My Cambrite's meetup. Which one's that? Investor Fuel. Investor Fuel. Yep. And I saw pretty much all Investor Fuel members. So I'm like, man, I got Investor Fuel connections like right here on my computer. Why do I need right. to go join Investor Fuel? Um, which I see the value in a face-to-face -face right. mastermind. Don't get me wrong. But um, that's what got me into it, man. And I've, I've gotten a ton of value. Yeah, group, it's I mean, a pretty cool little format, you know, and, you know, like earlier today, we had a call with uh, Gabriel Garcia, and man, dude, he just, he went off. I mean, he just started sharing everything about his company. He went into his system. He started breaking down spreadsheets on flips that they've done and breaking down the numbers, and it's just, it's a pretty cool, you know, community of people that are just full, open, and transparency. Um, what are... 
what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've had from from being a part of Next Level Flipping? Is there anything in particular that you can say, hey, that really helped me grow within my company? Yeah, man. I mean, it was uh, it came to my courage to came down to my courage to opening up my business, man. The first post I put out there was like, man, do I want to share this? This is talking about revenue and all that stuff, man. And I put it out there and just the feedback I got from being open from guys who were, you know, a hundred leaps and bounds above beyond me, man. It, it was substantial. Yeah, man. It's pretty cool. So for anybody out there that's interested in being a part of this, just check out nextlevelflipping.com. Um, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm biased, but I, we were the self-proclaimed number one online real estate mastermind. I'm now prefacing that by saying, I think we're the only online real estate mastermind. So uh, it's pretty easy to be number one, but I, it's a great group of people. And like you said, there's still value in the in-person masterminds. We've never said, hey, you don't want to be a part of those and just be a part of ours. Because nothing, there's nothing like breaking bread with people and just sitting down in, in the in-person. But it's a, it's a great little format to be a part of where you can share things with others and immediately get that feedback within the Facebook group and then be a part of the Zoom calls. Um, so outside of that, man, um, what is what is your why behind being in real estate investing? Like, what what are you busting your ass for every day to do this? You you openly admitted you're a lazy guy. You don't want to work hard. So, what what, what are you doing this for? It's time freedom, man. It's time freedom with my family. I have two young kids, gotcha. and I, I have the flexibility to to be involved more than. Most folks just doing this, man, but it's ultimately time for things outside of real estate. It, my, my drive, my why has nothing to do with real estate whatsoever. <laughs> How old are your kids? I have one that's seven and one that's four. Gotcha. I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. Awesome. So, uh, and, and same thing, man. I, I love the, the things that I get to experience with my kiddos. Um, you know, my son... He fell in love with with hockey when he was a newborn man. I would turn on a Dallas Stars game and he was just eyeballs were just stuck to the TV. And so since he's been a baby, he's always wanted to play hockey. He started skating when he was three years old. And uh, now he's actually playing hockey. Um, you know, we got to he got to play a game in American Airlines Center, which is where the stars play. He scored a hat trick. And uh, I just got to the point where I was like, man, we have such a, an awesome experience playing, you know, being around hockey and letting him play. And I, was, I just asked him, I said, hey, what would you do? How would you feel if, if dad had started playing hockey again? And he was like, what? That would be so cool, man. And so now I've started playing hockey again. And just it's so funny because – he gives me more feedback about how I play hockey than I give him feedback about how he plays. I'm just so proud of him. And uh, I asked him after my first game, I was like, so what'd you think? How'd I play? And he's like, well, you could have skated faster and you probably should have tried to score a goal and uh, you could have won the game. <laughs> you know, he's, he's giving me all this feedback, but man, that's, that's what all this is about. Right. You know, and, and uh, you know, real estate investing is such a great platform to, to create that kind of, wealth or financial freedom to have that time um you know moving forward what are kind of some of your goals to achieve that freedom and and what does that look like for you what does freedom look like for you yeah man so uh short-term goals are getting this get is getting this business to a seven-figure operation 
And once I hit the seven-figure operation, if I can maintain margins, I can start stacking away some rentals. And like most people that get into real estate investing, the, the rental income, the passive income is the end goal, and it's mine too. I mean, I have a, I have a seven-year retirement plan that I'm trying to hit, but it all hinges on this wholesaling uh, slash wholesaling slash flipping business being the revenue source to, to fund that man. So. Gotcha. Ultimately, my, my, what time freedom looks like for me is about four hours a week. If I could have this business to four hours a week and then have the rentals outsourced to a property management company, that, that's it for me. I don't need you know, a 400-door portfolio. I, I don't care to have a huge company. like That stuff doesn't drive me, man. It's just time. Well, somewhere out there, Tim Ferriss is smiling about you saying you only want to work four hours in a week. So uh, real quick, I'm going to give us some final thoughts. Um, you think about your final, your final little sound off here. Uh, but I'm going to go into uh, my, my patented sign off now um, that everybody loves it. So if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a five-star review. Um, if you want to give us a four or below star rating because you didn't like it, don't give it to us. Go give it to someone else. And we only accept five-star ratings on iTunes. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notifications bar. Eli, final thoughts? Man, I appreciate it. To all those out there who, who who's looking to get started, it, it's, this isn't easy. It, it, it's not easy at all. It's hard, but it's very possible. It's not complex. Just keep pushing forward. There'll be times you want to quit um, and, and just keep moving forward. Usually where you want to be is just on the other side of that point you to give up on. So keep Absolutely. Pressing. Wise words right there. It's a, it's a simple business, business, but it's not easy. It's still hard work and it takes time. Uh, there's a lot of people out here trying to accomplish the same thing, so stick with it. And like Eli said, you're, you're probably one, one phone call away from the next big deal that changes your life. So that's our episode, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault.